0: I'm Lauren Berry, and this is Odyssey's On Deadline podcast, where we bring you a deeper exploration of top stories out of our radio newsrooms across the country. On Deadline today is remembrance, reflection, and calls to action as we take stock of the continued impact of the terrorist attacks that rocked the nation and the world on September 11th, 2001. By the end of a beautiful fall day that started like any other— Two planes had crashed into the Twin Towers in Manhattan. A hijacked plane also crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and another slammed into the Pentagon. These deadly attacks on American soil reminded us how the world can stop on a dime and transform from the familiar into something strange and terrifying. But that's not where the story ended. In many ways, that's where it began. Across the nation, people took time this week to remember the victims of 9-11 on the 22nd anniversary of the attack, a day when hundreds of first responders fought every human instinct and ran directly into danger. Nearly 3,000 people lost their lives on September 11th. But decades later, that number just continues to grow. Many first responders who made it out of the towers have been left with illnesses stemming from those terrorist attacks. And some have had to fight to get the help they need to keep going. John feel is a 9-11 first responder, advocate, and founder of the Feel Good Foundation. He joined Odyssey in New York City to talk about the illnesses that have plagued first responders since that day.
1: Well, last week, the New York City Fire Department added 43 names to its World Trade Center memorial wall, commemorating firefighters, paramedics, civilian support staff members— who all died from illnesses related to the rescue and recovery efforts. How many people in all have died now from 9-11 illnesses? We find the numbers just astonishing. Is it indeed more than the number of people killed on that day?
2: You know, today's a day of reflection for those that we lost to senseless violence. And um, sadly, we do outnumber those who died that day. If you count the amount of responders and survivors of those who lived or worked or went to school in lower manhattan roughly six thousand people have passed away from a 9 11 related certified illness there are twenty seven thousand plus people right now with a certified 9 11 cancer we're a finite number we're not going to get any bigger we're being decimated every day and um we're evolving for the worse This this is just fact and um you know this is the only day out of the year that we don't advocate but we still have to help those who continue to suffer 22 years later. And um, the amount of pain that was inflicted on that horrific Tuesday morning and still 22 years later, it's immeasurable. And we we witness this every day. And while the cameras are focused on today, the other 364 days out of the year, there's a lot of suffering going on. But today's an important day. You know, they say a man or a woman dies twice when, when their heart stops and when we stop talking about them. And um, we're never going to stop talking about these men and women, uniform and non-uniform, who risk their lives without prejudice. And um, if today doesn't humble you and empathy isn't pouring out of you, then you're not human. What
1: is the most common illness that we've been seeing in the people who were down at ground zero? Is it indeed cancer?
2: Well, cancer is the sexy illness, but more people suffer from post-traumatic, which is the silent killer, right? Because post-traumatic is a physical injury and it's stress, and it doesn't allow your body to fight all of these other 9-11 related illnesses at 100%. Listen, I was diagnosed by four doctors who were post-traumatic. They told me I was crazy. Maybe I am. A lot of people are suffering today, and, and this time of the year really, really hits hard on so many, including myself. You know, this year more than others, I cried more this week And I'll probably cry a lot more later today when I'm at ground zero. This is just a tough year. And the number's not sexy. It's 22 years. It's like saying, how long have you been married? Well, I've been married 22 years. You know, people are attracted to round numbers 20 and 25. And in three years from now, they'll blow it up. It will be a a milestone. But on year 26, there will be our next Pearl Harbor. And we have a moral obligation to continue to tell these stories. So history is never distorted. So people don't say 9-11 never happened and all of the other, you know, two things happen out of a historic disaster, out of something so monumental like 9-11, conspiracy theories and advocacy, and I I chose to go the advocacy route.
1: Yeah, well, you certainly have. You've done so much uh, fighting for people, uh, in particular, you know, your efforts down in Washington. Is it true, John, that a lot of people still are unaware that they're eligible for any kind of help?
2: Yeah, and, and this is where you guys can do us a, a solid and a service. You know, 85 90% of the 9-11 responded community is in the World Trade Center Health Program and filed the VCF claim to get compensated for their illnesses. But only 10% of those who lived or worked or went to school in lower Manhattan are in the program. We implore those. We implore everybody who is down there. If you were there to get into the program, even if you're not sick, because you have a 60% higher chance of getting sick, get into the program because you eventually will get sick. This is a bill is presumptive. You could have smoked four packs of cigarettes a day. If you still get cancer, you're covered. We employ every, you know, a lot of people in lower Manhattan, well, I don't want to take money away from a hero. There's enough money for everybody. Oh, I, I didn't think I was eligible for it. You are eligible for it. Get in the program, reach out to a friend that you might know that was there that might've got cancer. Even if they died, the family could still file a claim. You know, I walked the halls of Congress for 19 years I don't want to see my work go in vain. There are more people out there. And again, we're a finite number. And this community that has so many moving fractions, so we're getting smaller each day. You know, next Saturday, this Saturday coming up at my park on Long Island, we're adding 359 names of heroes who died in the calendar year. This 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 is gut wrenching. And um, on a day like this, knowing that I have to go to Saturday, it's a double whammy.
0: While many survivors may not know about the federal aid available to them, some are fighting to increase the amount of aid available to those who were impacted by 9-11, including talk show host John Stewart. In June of 2019, Stewart spoke to Congress, passionately demanding action, and saying that lawmakers should be ashamed of themselves for not approving funding for those suffering in the aftermath of 9-11. It's shameful. It's an embarrassment to the country, and it is a stain on this institution. You should be ashamed of yourselves for those that aren't here, but you won't be. Because accountability doesn't appear to be something that occurs in this chamber. But while Stewart and others educate Congress on why 9-11 survivors need more support, those who lived through it are helping to educate younger generations about that traumatic day. John Buglione, a social studies teacher in Baldwin, Long Island, spoke with Odyssey about his dedication to teaching students about the importance of remembering 9 11.
3: 2001 was my second year of teaching, and I had just come out of graduate school. And, you know, I'm a history teacher, so everybody that experienced the event knew it was a turning point, knew that things would never be the same afterwards. And it's ironic because the lesson I was doing that day, the lesson I was doing on 9-11 was a lesson about political apathy and how young people felt like, you know, there was no real great issues to solve and there was no reason to get involved. And they kind of felt powerless about politics and history. So after the event, I kind of got the idea like, well, we lived through this incredible trauma together. Why not write about it and then, you know, send it into the future? you know, give it to the students that are going to be in your seats in 20 years. And then as we went through every year, my colleagues and I on 9-11, we would kind of sit in circles and everybody would just relay their stories. And what I noticed was, you know, gradually it went from first person, I did this, I did that to my mom did, you know, and as time went on, the students had less and less connections.
1: Right. Uh, but back to those initial letters about how kids felt and what they saw, what they experienced on nine eleven. Uh, can you give us an example of a particularly moving letter from a child?
3: Firstly, one of the things that you see is that everybody, I didn't give them any direction, but they basically all divided it up into things were like this before 9-11, and then things are never going to be the same after 9-11. You know, so I have one here. Uh, it just starts out I was never a patriot before 9 11. The day started just as every other day had in my life. I woke up upset because I had to go to school and move through my periods in a sluggish daze. You know, and then he goes on and on and on. And then at the end, he said, Yesterday marked the one year anniversary, and those thousands of innocent people are still dead. I cried uncontrollably. There was a two-year-old aboard the planes. I cried for the world. And, you know, he just keeps going on about how, you know, even one year later, they were still crying about the event. Other students talked about their mother was an airline attendant, and she didn't know for a while whether or not her mother was affected directly by everything. But you do get a, a really big sense of, like, the personal connection and how much they were personally affected by the events.
1: Do you feel that the kids today, that they have absorbed the lessons of 9-11? In other words, does it feel like a real event, something that really happened in current American history?
3: The big takeaway that students always come out with is how patriotic and how unified everybody expressed. You know, that that's how they, they everyone was like, had empathized with what had happened. Everyone felt unified. Everybody felt like, you know, this was a call to do something, not necessarily like militarily, but this is a call for me to do good deeds, or this is a call for me to help people. Uh, And so students today, it's such a stark contrast to the way public life is today with how polarized we are. So students today almost always remark like, wow, it really, it was a different time period back then.
0: I remember someone whispering into my fourth-grade teacher's ear on the morning of 9-11 and later watching footage of the planes hitting the Twin Towers on TV with my classmates before they let us out early. My mom was in downtown Chicago that day, and I was so frightened for her until the moment she picked me up from school. Over the following months, nearly everyone on our block—and the blocks around us—had an American flag flying outside of their house. Today, hearing the stories of people who were actually there and survived the 9-11 attacks is not only educational, but also incredibly moving. The emotion surrounding the tragedy is palpable, even two decades later. Joy Mylan is one survivor who was able to make it out of the Twin Towers the day of the attack. Mylan was four months pregnant and working on the 31st floor of the South Tower. September 11, 2001 was her first day back from vacation. When the plane hit, she was able to get out by going down the stairs. Myla now lives in Southern California, and she joined Odyssey in L.A. to discuss the painful memories of that day. I understand that your daughter goes to NYU, and
1: I cannot imagine, after going through the attacks on 9-11, 22 years ago, having a child that you send back to New York, away from you, uh, to go to college. What was that like for you? So,
4: um, gosh, I think it's part of the healing process. So we definitely fled New York. She and her sister were raised here. They both go to NYU. She just happens to be the one that I was pregnant with as well. It's part of the healing process. It, It was hard to let them go back. We've traveled there many times since, so they're comfortable with New York. But I did have to just sort of mentally let go and just you know, know that God would take care of her and that she would be okay, and everything. Obviously, she is okay. But it was a part of my own healing process to say it's okay to live in New York. I hadn't been ready to do that, but I couldn't hold her back.
3: I'm curious to know how much they know about what happened, or you know, think about it now, because we were discussing earlier. You know, kids then, or kids being born around that time. You know, they don't they don't have any actual memory of it. Maybe they know more because you went through it you survived but her compared to her friends i mean we say we remember but there's a whole generation out there who never saw new york city with those towers
4: yeah it's interesting for for them to have been raised in a family that experienced this issue their awareness definitely is different than others they've known this story from day one of their lives. They've heard me speak about it, you know, periodically at church. I've given testimonies because I'm just so thankful that I made it. And um, I've even said at church, I think I made it not even just for myself, but, you know, God has a plan for them. So they've heard me give that testimony every few years at church. They've just lived knowing that this is a part of my story. They've lived with my own sort of P.S., you know, PSD, um, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder that I have out of it, helping me grip with loud noises and such. They're aware of the effect on me personally and our family. And, you know, so yeah, they're very much more aware than any of their friends for sure.
1: What you mentioned loud noises, what triggers those memories for you? So I had
4: just come back from vacation that day and dropped my bags off in my office on the 31st floor, went into my boss's office to greet him. He happened to have an external office facing a window. So as I was literally in there greeting him in the morning, um, just, you know, starting to just begin to tell him about my vacation, boom, obviously it was a plane hitting a building. It was like... I don't know, a file cabinet falling over, but 5,000 times louder, like huge sound. Our building shook. The lights flickered. It felt like an earthquake. So I personally thought a bomb had gone off in the top of our building because behind him I saw showering debris because of the direction of the explosion came flowing toward us on the South Tower. So behind him I saw all of that flaming debris starting to swirl around. So that's when my panic hit. So loud sounds I associate with that, and it's I, I'm still not over it.
3: How long that day until you were able to get in touch with with your husband, who was you know worried about both of you at that point?
4: Um, so so the first thing I do is you know obviously grab my stuff and start to head toward the stairwell. We get down. I eventually made it out, obviously before the building fell. But I'm on the other side. I'm on the Brooklyn Bridge, I think it was at that point. So it was before the building had fallen no actually I got a hold of him it's such a blur after the building fell I never even got a hold of them. I got a hold of my parents after my building fell so they're all watching this on the news panicking I got a hold of him after the building fell and then eventually you know he made his way back home because he had been at work but so it was afterwards so it was a panic for him as well
0: About the efforts to help 9-11 survivors, visit the Victims Compensation Fund website at vcf.gov. This show is produced by Joe Heady, Christy Strauser, Myron Kaplan, and Bill Smith. I'm Lauren Berry, and I want to say thanks for listening to the On Deadline podcast. Odyssey's deeper look at a top news story just for you. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcast to stay. And